MSW Media. Thanks to Hunter Douglas for supporting Daily Beans. Hunter Douglas makes innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems that can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day and bring greater convenience, style, and comfort to your home. Go to hunterdouglas.com dailybeans today to get your free Style Gets Smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. News, Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022. Today, confirmation hearings began for Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson. The U.S. Secret Service takes the stand in the Cooey Griffin bench trial. A witness tells the January 6th committee that Meadows helped organize the march on the Capitol. And some Reuters reporters tell Politico they're over the Reuters partnership with Russian media partner TASS. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana. Hello. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday to you. I love that I said that my name was like my name was new to me. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Like, look at that. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. Well, there you have it. <laughs> Every time I'm like, I feel like I say it differently. I'm just trying to mix it up, people. Just Do trying it. to mix yeah. it up. Tomorrow, just be like, I'm Dana Goldberg. <laughs> I'm Dana Goldberg. <laughs> Who put a question mark in the teleprompter? <laughs> 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 Whatever you put in there, Ron Burgundy will read. Oh my God, so funny. <laughs> um, today I had a small dream come true. I got to talk with Marie oh. Yovanovitch, former ambassador to Ukraine, um, who testified in the first impeachment trial of uh, Donald John Trump. Congratulations. Now, well done, my friend. Oh, it was just, she's just an incredible, she's a hero to me. She is a hero to me. 33 years in the Foreign Service, um, just absolute hero and um just incredible talking to her and her book is out now it's called lessons from the edge i highly recommend everybody grab it it is it's a top contender for the next book club as soon as we finish go back to where you came from and other helpful recommendations on how to become an american by wajahat ali um first episode is out this past sunday uh all right we have a lot of news to get to let's hit the hot notes hot notes All right, top story today, and I decide what top stories are, because the real top story is that Kataji Brown-Jackson is, you know, has been nominated first black woman in history to the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, But I'm going to slide a story in before that, so I just want everyone to know. I understand that is the top story of the day. But uh, today, from Hunter Walker at Rolling Stone, Hunter Walker writes, Donald Trump's White House chief of staff and national campaign spokesperson were involved in efforts to encourage the president's supporters to march on the Capitol. That's according to a person who says he actually overheard a key planning conversation between top Trump officials and the organizers of the January 6th rally on the ellipse and has since testified to House investigators about the phone call. Trump and his allies have tried to minimize his role in calling supporters to the Capitol and argue he was simply participating in lawful, peaceful demonstrations. Scott Johnston, who worked on a team that helped plan the Ellipse rally, says that's just not the truth. He claims that leading figures in the Trump administration and campaign deliberately planned to have crowds converge on the Capitol where the 2020 election was being certified and, quote, make it look like they went down there on their own, unquote. Johnson says he overheard Mark Meadows, 
That's former chief of staff who's under state investigation for voter fraud and federal criminal investigation for contempt of Congress. Uh, heard Mark Meadows. Johnston overheard Mark Meadows talking with Katrina Pearson, that's Trump's national campaign spokeswoman, and Kylie Kramer, that's the executive director of Women for America First PAC, and that they were talking about plans for a march to the Capitol. Johnston said the conversation was clearly audible to him since it took place on speakerphone as he drove Kramer between the group's rallies. <laughs> Fuck my life. According to Johnston, Meadows, Pearson, and Kramer discussed the possibility of setting up a permit to make the march from the White House to the Capitol official. He says the trio decided against officially permitting the march, citing concerns. And mind you, this is Mark Meadows on this call, citing concerns about security costs and about the optics of a sitting president organizing a push towards Congress as lawmakers certified his loss in the 2020 election. It could look bad if we permitted it. <laughs> Ultimately, Johnston tells Rolling Stone they plan to, quote, direct the people down there and make it look like they went down there on their own. Johnston's account suggests there was a deliberate strategy by Trump allies to have supporters descend on the Capitol. Such a connection would implicate top White House and campaign officials in drawing crowds to Congress without a permit, a step that could have required added security and may have allowed law enforcement to better prepare for the day's events. Quote, unquote, day's events. Those crowds overwhelmed the Capitol. Police... Um, uh, overwhelmed the Capitol, they overwhelmed the police, they overwhelmed just the the barricades and engaged in an hours-long battle with law enforcement. And four people died, as we know, during that attack. 140 officers were injured. On December 20th, 2021, Johnston testified to the House Select Committee investigating, and he provided Rolling Stone multiple pieces of documentation showing his interactions with the committee. Johnston also told investigators he knew the call took place on a burner phone in the final days of 2020. And the reason he knows that is because he's the one who bought the fucking burner phones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. And it was actually Kylie Kramer who directed him to purchase three phones for that group. I'm wondering if that group includes Mark Meadows. <laughs> oh, my God. The committee is seeking Meadows' phone, rec phone records via subpoena sent to Verizon, but of course he sued to block that subpoena, and that case is ongoing. Well, the reason I, I would say that maybe Meadows wasn't a burner phone recipient is because he blocked to have his phone records subpoenaed at Verizon. Otherwise, he, would be, he wouldn't care. He'd be like, sure, get my phone records. It's not on there, yeah, but you're but a he... jackass and probably used your own phone for the call. Yeah, and he also used, we know that he used encrypted apps, encrypted messaging right. apps, uh, which I'm sorry, that's a fucking violation of the Presidential Records Act. Anyway. Anyway. I th some I hope good he's news. under investigation for it. Yes. I love this story because I was watching some of it. Anyway, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, the first black woman nominated to serve on the Supreme Court, vowed to make the words inscribed on its edifice, quote, equal justice under the law, a reality and not just an ideal. That was in her opening remarks to the Senate Judiciary Committee on Monday. Judge Jackson's 51 years old began by first thanking God and then people who brought her to the threshold of history. She started with her parents. I was in tears. I know. She started with her too. parents, recalling her father's decision shortly after her birth to relocate from Florida to Washington, D.C. to escape racism and, quote, experience new freedom. She noted that the spirit of public service they instilled in their children led her into a judicial career and inspired her younger brother to join the army after the terrorist attacks on September 11th, 2001. He served two tours in the Middle East, 
And this is a quote, I cannot possibly thank them enough for everything they've done for me. She said as they watched, I love you, mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Judge Jackson also reminded those watching the hearing that she, like Justice Amy, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, or Aunt Lydia, as I like to affectionately call her, was appointed by President Donald J. Trump in 2020 and is the mother of school-aged children. Now, I know it has not been easy. This is a quote. I know it has not been easy as I've tried to navigate the challenges of juggling my career and motherhood. She told her two daughters. And I, I, she, even in, as she was speaking candidly, said, and I didn't always get that balance correct. I mean, it was beautiful. Her opening statements were beautiful. Yeah. Judge Jackson. Mm -hmm. I, I was riveted. Ju I was just... Uh, uh, like and the story about coloring with her father, mm. I mean, te tears. Okay, Judge Jackson, who joked about her propensity for writing lengthy decisions, was notably economical in expressing her worldview and judicial philosophy. In remarks that lasted just under 15 minutes, she committed to adopt a, quote, neutral stance, if confirmed, and promised to continue to pr produce expansive, transparent opinions so that each litigant knows that the judge in their case has heard them, whether or not the arguments prevail. Now, Judge Jackson spoke late on Monday afternoon after hours of alternating celebrations of her achievements by Democrats and probing attacks from Republican leaders who have acknowledged they do not have the votes to stop her. Now, one by one, they logged a range of criticisms, including her work on behalf of defendants in criminal cases and her seat on the board of a school that, quote, pushes an anti-racist education program for white families. That's according to the racist Senator Marsha Blackburn, a Republican from Tennessee. Who, by the and way, I, is well known for winning fifth prize in a beauty contest. Yeah. <laughs> hey, she touts that shit. Now, Judge Jackson did not address any of those issues in her prepared remarks. She was attentive. However, to more conventional conservative criticism that she would use her power on the high court to impose liberal policies without appropriate judicial restraint. Uh, Lindsey Graham uh, particularly was an asshole during this time. I think he brought up Kavanaugh 15 times. And uh, of course, the judge he wanted in uh, that was not nominated. He is just salty. My God, he's so salty about Kavanaugh. Yeah. Yeah. And he's on the court. He's sitting on the goddamn court. Excuse me. I know that offends some people. He's sitting on the court. So. Yeah, I know. I know. It, it's like, what What are you? And Ted Cruz was also a phenomenal dick today. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, today. You don't even need today. Uh, Ted yeah. Cruz was a phenomenal dick. <laughs> Born. Born and raised. Uh, okay. Uh, up next. Remember, we've been talking about this Cooey Griffin case. It's a bench trial, which means it's not in front of a jury. It's just in front of a judge. The judge is Trevor, Trevor McFadden. Uh, oh, my Trump, God. Trump appointee. Uh, and the whole argument that he claims is that, hey, when I was on, when I was at the Capitol, I wasn't on restricted grounds because restricted grounds are defined by who's there. A head of state has to be there. And I don't think Pence was there. I think he was taken somewhere away from the Capitol complex. And so I can't be charged with misdemeanor trespassing. And so the the uh, Cooey's defense said, hey, yeah, we need to cross-examine and ask the Secret Service where they took Pence. We have to know where exactly where he was because the government here is saying, you know, that he was trespassing and their whole case is based on where Pence was. And the government's like, you are, I don't, we don't want you asking the Secret Service shit, dude. We don't want to give away sources and methods. Just fuck off. You know, like, look, it doesn't matter because Pence was going to come back. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pence was going to come back. I hope anyway. you're not. I really actually hope you're not. Because <laughs> <laughs> Pence, I, this might actually be how it went down. But, you know, 
Um, Pence was going to come back. It doesn't matter. We don't want to tell you where our secret spots are for when we whisk people away from danger, dumbass. And uh, so, but Trevor McFadden, Trevor said, no, you you do have the. They do have to answer questions about Pence's location because your your case hinges on this. And they said, oh, fine, fine. So <sighs> that uh, witness got up on the stand today, and um, uh, they just basically asked, where was the where was the vice president? And the government asked, you know, the government was like, where? We took him to the loading dock. Where's that? It's underneath the Senate side of the Capitol. It's within the restricted part of the of the grounds. And they're like, okay, is that is everyone fine now? Can we go home? Like, oh my god! <laughs> like all of that, back and forth, and filing after filing and after filing for a fucking misdemeanor trespass charge. And then here could just comes the Secret Service lady saying, yeah, he, it was in the loading dock. Everyone knows that. It was reported by Yahoo News. And they were down there. And it, that's what a waste the- of time and money. Yeah, I know. Um, but I will see what uh, Trevor Trevor is the one who makes the call on this, because like I said, it's a bench trial. It's not um, it's not in front of the jury. And it's just a couple of misdemeanors. So it's probably going to get like probation. You got to go clean up dog shit or something for a week. Who knows? We'll see. All right, AG, thank you for catching us up on that. Uh, There's so much joy in the news today. Uh, uh, This one, we've got employees, uh, one of the most well-known newswire services. They are privately fuming over their company's ongoing partnership with a Russian state-controlled media organization that has published unverified information about the war in Ukraine. Now, multiple journalists at Reuters told Politico that staff are frustrated and embarrassed by the company's continued partnership with TASS. And the why, that's a wire service owned by Russian government. So the relationship dates back just to 2020, uh, when the Newswire first announced a partnership to distribute content from the state-owned news organization. Now, MOVE raised some eyebrows among staff at Reuters at the time. You think? Uh, but yeah, but it passed largely unnoticed by people outside the company. No, I noticed. Uh, I, oh, of course. I was you like, noticed. excuse me? Fucking yeah. LL? <laughs> You're not just anybody outside the company. That's true. Now, in the wake of, of Ukraine invasion, more scrutiny is being placed on this agreement now, of course, including from Reuters, their own employees. Everyone's like, what the fuck? Uh, in a quote, they said it was an embarrassment when the partnership was signed two years ago. That's from one Reuters reporter. And that's what they told Politico. They went on to say, now it's just wrong. And the silence from the top is worrying. And it may be the worst part because mm-hmm. no one's saying anything. Mm-hmm. So according to two Reuters journalists who spoke to Politico on the condition of anonymity, in order to candidly discuss internal matters, some staff has sought answers from higher ups about why Reuters continues to distribute tasks via its business to business service Reuters Connect. That allows news organizations that pay for the wire service to access and share TASS's content. Now, Reuters staff have specifically expressed concern about TASS's uncritical reporting, so they're not fact-checking shit, of the information from Russian government, which critics and media experts say it's basically just propaganda. So the news's organization ties to the Russian government, they haven't always been purely of a, a journalistic nature either, if you will. Now, both the Daily Beast and the Washington Post They previously reported that the U.S. law enforcement officials believe TASS worked with Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service to attempt to gather sensitive information on markets and finance from New York City. Uh, 
Now, there's at least one news organization that Tass Ties had taken a different approach. Earlier this month, Getty Images ended its relationship with Tass for violating the photo service's editorial policies, saying that it plans to remove all Tass content when their current agreement is over. And I appreciate that, even though they're just images. Uh, it would be really nice if Reuters got their shit together. Yeah, I've been tweeting about this. Like, what the fuck, bro? Yep. Reuters is bro. Uh, and you're a Getty image. By the way, I've seen. I am your- a Getty. I am a Getty image. There's several uh, Im- images of me on Getty. Uh, if anyone's interested, you could Google Dana Goldberg. Just make sure you put in comedian. Otherwise, the producer comes <laughs> up, which is really funny. I love that story. Yeah, it should be in your book when you write it. Um, all right, that is the news for today. Um, we're going to be right back with Marie Yovanovitch, um, who you know, former ambassador. Uh, extraordinary and plenipotentiary to the Ukraine. Um, and, you know, she was she's the one who is why we say the words they're going to go through some things, because that's what Donald Trump said about her um, when she was trying to stop corruption and corruption by way of like Rudy Giuliani and Gordon Sundlin and uh, Rick Perry and all that. So <laughs> love it. Oh, love it. So we're going to talk to her, and uh, you need to grab her book um, as soon as you can. It's called Lessons from the Edge, uh, whenever you get a chance. So we'll be right back with that interview, and then, Dana, I'll see you on the other side for good news. Looking forward. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Today's show is presented by Hunter Douglas. They have made my home so beautiful and comfortable and the right temperature. I absolutely love everything about my window dressings from Hunter Douglas. They make innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and automatic control systems that adjust to their optimal positions throughout the day. Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology allows you to program your shades to automatically adjust for the perfect balance of not just light, but privacy and insulation, regardless of the time of day. I have this huge window that the sun comes through in the afternoon and my shades automatically, on time, every day, go down to keep my home cool. Shades from Hunter Douglas diffuse harsh sunlight for an even pleasant glow across your room. It's so warm and nice and welcoming. It also protects your privacy and it helps you save money, like I said, by staying warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer. Your home will be more functional, stylish, and comfortable. My favorite feature about PowerView is how it automatically adjusts for the ideal balance of light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, and night. So go to hunterdouglas.com dailybeans today to get your free Style Gets Smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. That's hunterdouglas.com slash dailybeans for your free design guide. Everybody, welcome back. I am honored today to be speaking to former ambassador to Ukraine, author of the book Lessons from the Edge, a memoir, Marie Ivanovich. Marie, welcome to the Daily Beans. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, I'm I'm so honored to to talk with you. Uh, as I as I was, you know, I'm reminded of when I first got to speak to um, Colonel Alexander Vindman, um, and just the incredible service that he provided to our country and the service that not only did you provide during the impeachment hearings, which is when most of us met you, uh, but for the 33 years prior uh, to that with your long career in foreign service, um, ambassador to three different countries, um, uh, and uh, mostly familiar with Russian disinformation. Uh, and, and many times we've spoken on our podcast about how, as Americans, we're kind of new to it. 
and and how frustrating it must be to know what's you know what what is involved with that kind of disinformation and to see it uh, uh, you know come into a country for the first time and, and us not know how to respond to it. But I'm so uh, honored to speak to you today and I wanted to talk about your book. Um, and the title is amazing, Lessons from the Edge. And the thing that stood out to me the most was the through lines from your early life into your career and to now. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so my, my, my parents uh, immigrated to the United States. Uh, they had uh, fled, they both fled the Nazis. My father was actually born in the Soviet Union and allowed to leave, uh, grew up in uh, what is what was then Yugoslavia. And my mom grew up in Nazi Germany, and uh, they both ended up fleeing the Nazis uh, and ended up in the United States. And they were so grateful, uh, as I think so many immigrants are, uh, to the United States for providing safe haven, a place to bring up their children, uh, a place where they could have steady work, uh, a place where they could be free. And they brought my brother and I up on those values and um, also on kind of the lesson that you need to give back. We have been given so much uh, from the United States and we need to give back. And my parents did that throughout their lives, very active in the church and in our community, but they were also both teachers and they brought up generations of students who still love them and still talk about them and still are in touch with us. Um, And so, you know, that was how I was brought up. And then I went to Princeton. The motto at the time was Princeton in the nation's service. We heard that, you know, every big speech when they gather the French freshmen and then the sophomores and so forth. You heard that. And I heard that. Uh, And so when I was uh, looking for a career, I thought about the Foreign Service uh, because it combined my interests, but it was also a way of representing the United States and uh, furthering our national security, security objectives. And I have hopefully, uh, you know, done that throughout my career. I, I would say definitely. Um, and, and that's fascinating, the, the, the Princeton sort of the origin story of, you know, not just where you come from and the need, the need to feel that you have to uh, give back um, to, to the nation. And we hear that echoed in so many different um different patriots that are now working under the under the Biden administration, at least, and in the past, in the Obama administration. I remember Merrick Garland saying um, similar things, uh, Colonel Vindman, when I spoke to him. And, uh, I, you know, my, you know, mine came from when Obama was echoing the, the JFK, ask not what your country can do for you um, to, to, to be of service. And so that sort of sacrifice and service um, and there was sacrifice too. You actually were in danger quite a few times. Uh, I pinned pinned by gunfire. I read in in Russia and was it also uh, Kyrgyzstan or Uzbekistan? I can't remember. Uzbekistan. Yeah, I was there for a short six weeks, but uh, a gunman attacked uh, attacked the embassy. It had nothing to do with the U.S., um, but uh, a gunman did a- attack the U- the U.S. embassy, and we were sort of quarantine there until uh, until they could get the gunman out of the building. He actually held our um, accountant hostage in, in the building. Uh, I was on an upper floor, uh, but it was still, um, you remember those things. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And, um, and, and that kind of service is something that I, I imagine, even though very dangerous at some points, uh, you miss. I imagine that you miss it. 
I do miss working um, for the U.S. government because I am, well, I, I'm very idealistic. And so it gives your life a greater purpose when you are not only working for yourself, but you are working for the greater good. And, you know, one cannot say that American foreign policy has always done the right thing every time. Nobody would say that. But I think we try really, really hard to get it right with the information we have at the time, with the goals that we have in mind. And so it really, um, it, it gives you a sense of purpose. And there is, of course, a community, not only the community of foreign service officers at the State Department and at, or at an embassy, um, but there's also the community of your um, your foreign interlocutors and the people uh, in the country that you're stationed at. And in the best cases, everybody is kind of working together uh, for the same ends. I mean, when I was in Ukraine, for example, the Ukrainian people wanted to end corruption. That's why they had the dignity, uh, the revolution of dignity, which means um, I want rule of law. I want to be treated just like you're being treated, just like the president is being treated. I don't want to have to pay a bribe because a policeman has stopped me because he's not making enough money. I want to be treated with dignity. I want there to be one rule of law for every person. And um, so that's what they wanted. That's what their government said they wanted. And that's what we wanted for them as well, because we thought that would be good for Ukraine's development. But we also thought that, and think, that countries that are democracies, where there is rule of law, where there is predictability, where our companies can do business, where we can have security partnerships, those are better partners for us. And who would have thought it would have been from within the United States that would come and try to upset that sort of anti-corruption ideal in Ukraine. But that's exactly what happened. And, you know, you said the best case scenario is everyone's working toward the same end. But you found yourself at a pretty severe juxtaposition with what was going on, at least in a shadow diplomacy situation with Rudy and I think Rick Perry and whoever, you know, the, they considered the three amigos that were sent over um, uh, to Ukraine. And you were targeted and part of a smear campaign, as part of a disinformation campaign against something that you're very familiar with, having worked uh, in, you know, as ambassador and with the countries of the former Soviet Union. Uh, what was that like to be? I mean, you know, I was removed from my job in the federal government, but I was not a disinformation target. And my, I feel like your life was in danger at some point. Did you feel that? I actually didn't. I mean, there there was a moment in 2020 when um, there were some texts that were released that seemed to indicate that um, even some Americans working with Ukrainians had been following me when I was still in Ukraine. Um, but by that time in 2020, I was already gone. But that gave me a, a little bit of a moment. But I felt very well protected in Ukraine. Um, so no, I, I I mean I'm. Again, maybe I'm uh, naive, <laughs> but I did not feel that um, I was in danger at any time. Uh, but you felt, you, you know, you say in the book that you it, you felt it was your duty to to testify when when this came out and you, you couldn't not basically um, mm -hmm. talk a little bit uh, uh, about that, because this is sort of the same uh, other folks who I've uh, spoken to about their testimony during the impeachment trial. Uh, feel the exact same way. It's a duty. Um, and there wasn't even a question uh, in your mind. Talk, talk a little bit about that and, and, and what it was like to be kind of thrust into the spotlight. 
Yeah. So I'm going to actually go back to your last question and say, I never felt that I was in physical danger, but I did wonder whether there would be uh, retaliation of, of, of whether, whether firing me was going to be enough. Uh, because generally, you know, in the normal world, if you pull somebody out of an embassy for alleged wrongdoing, there would be an investigation and perhaps even charges. Uh, and I was wondering, you know, because I was contemplating retirement, would they take away my pension? And then, of course, there was the perfect phone call, you'll recall, with President Zelensky and President Trump. And I, I didn't know that I figured into that phone call until September when the transcript was released. And that transcript uh, revealed that President Trump said she's going to go through some things. That was, um, you know, late September. There was already an inquiry. Uh, I can't remember whether it was already an impeachment inquiry. And, you know, I was wondering, <laughs> what are those things that they are talking about? Because, um, you know, they've already run me out of my job. What else am I going to go through? And so I was, um, I mean, it was frightening honestly, in that sense. And then, of course, very quickly, um, the uh, impeachment committees uh, sort of started reaching out to the State Department and making clear that they wanted me and other people to testify. And while I would love to say that I was, you know, racing over there <laughs> to testify, I mean, I was concerned. I was concerned whether there would be retaliation because the Trump administration both the White House and uh, the State Department made it very clear that we should not be testifying. And I was worried, like I said, that there would be retaliation. That And, and so the last place I think a career diplomat, a career civil servant such as yourself wants to be is in between a, you know, a, a Democratic House and a, uh, a Republican uh, executive branch and president especially in, in the run-up to presidential elections, because we already knew that there was um, some element of, of politics and all of this as well. So uh, I, you know, I, I was, you know, having this debate with myself that, you know, can I do this? What will it mean if I, if I do this? And what will it mean if I don't? And finally, I sort of came to the place that if I don't testify, I really couldn't live with myself because my larger obligation was not to an individual, but to the Constitution. And this is a constitutional process. And so I did come to that, but I would say, you know, with a great deal of trepidation. I mean, these are big historical events. And I certainly never thought that I would be, you know, even a minor player in something like this. Yeah. And then, and then to have your own State Department not not back you up. Um, and, and I'm familiar with that feeling. Uh, when I was removed from Department of Veterans Affairs, Secretary Wilkie was the secretary at the time. And he there was just no, there no one stood up for me. Um, uh, and it, despite over a decade of outstanding service reviews and performance evaluations and awards and decorate, you know, like, you know, really worked hard. So to w what did it feel like to have, you know, I know Bill Barr did this to a lot of the line prosecutors in the Department of Justice just wasn't there, just didn't have their backs. What was that like to have the State Department kind of turn its back on you and ask you to pledge loyalty to a person and not the Constitution? Yeah, well, it felt like a betrayal uh, is what it felt like, uh, that I had been loyal and tried to do my job 
and was um, implementing our policy as stated, uh, the deputy secretary of state told me I had done nothing wrong. And this was, you know, they were pulling me out because it was um, to protect me from a tweet from the president um, firing me. And I, um, you know, it just felt like a betrayal. If I had done nothing wrong, then why was I being, you know, pushed out? And uh, it made me, it made me sad for myself, but it also made me sad and mad for the State Department because if this happens to me, it can happen to other people. And many people were paying, this was still not front page news in the United States yet, but you know, there's a group of people that follow these kinds of things, certainly in foreign policy. And people were wondering what was going on. Uh, other, other ambassadors were wondering, is the same thing gonna happen to me? I'm gonna push um, a, a, a difficult po policy. Anti-corruption is a difficult thing to, um, to work because you are breaking people's rice bowls. Nobody wants to reform. We don't like doing it here in the United States. And we don't, uh, you know, people overseas don't like doing it either. So, it, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult and you, um, if you make, if not enemies, at least you make people not happy with, um, with the actions that you're taking. But that was our policy. And so my colleagues were wondering, gosh, you know, if I, if I make waves in my country, in the country I'm posted to, is the same thing going to happen to me? And, you know, bad actors around the world, whether they were in the U.S. or whether they were overseas, they could see, oh, you know, I don't, I don't like that particular ambassador, but I can work with the Trump administration. I can manip manipulate them or I can cut some sort of a deal and get that person out. So it was undermining our whole, in my opinion, it was undermining the integrity of our personnel system and our foreign policy. Yeah, which is also a danger to national security, totally. in my opinion. And they, there are investigations into what went on uh, in the Trump administration with um, some corrupt, you know, uh, Russian-backed Ukrainian actors uh, who were working with Rudy Giuliani, um, perhaps uh, Dmitry Firtash, who is working on being extradited. Not He's not working on it, but others are. Um, do you know anything? Are you able to comment at all on, on either the Southern District of New York or Eastern District of New York investigations into what went on during that time? I really can't comment. Okay. Understood. Understandable. Um, open and ongoing matters. And uh, finally, I want to talk to you just a, a briefly about the situation today, which is obviously there's it, it's transformed into now a full on Russian invasion into Ukraine. Um, and, and this kind of reminds me of going back to these Trump, these early Trump administration campaign peace plans that were being floated around uh, the Mariupol plan or, you know, putting uh, um, uh, Yanukovych back into power, um, et cetera, uh, carving up parts of uh, the country to to for Russia to have. And we're entering now the fourth week and. Ukraine's been able to hold off um, the Russian army, much to everyone's uh, surprise, frankly. And um, the bravery of the Ukrainian people is is astounding. Um, but the, the talks now, there, you know, Zelensky is uh, getting ready to perhaps have some talks, uh, peace talks with, or some sort of talk, talks with with Putin. But I know that he's not willing to get, sacrifice any Ukrainian territory. Can you talk? Do you you know both? actors both both players here very well what 
what could come out of those talks? What could an agreement possibly look like? So Zelensky has been ready for the last couple of years to talk to Putin. I mean, even before the February 24th invasion, because part of his country was in Russian hands, the illegal annexation of Crimea in 2014, and then of course the invasion uh, in, uh, of uh, the Eastern part of the country called, called the Donbass. And so, you know, he wanted to resolve that. He wanted to speak uh, with Putin directly about that. Putin was never ready to meet with him. I mean, Putin obviously um, does not like, shall we say, um, Zelensky. He's made that very clear with his, you know, de whole denazification um, goal, which is clearly, <laughs> I mean, it's clearly code for getting rid of people we don't like. And at the top of the list is Zelensky even though he is Jewish. I mean, it, it is just a crazy, crazy kind of warping of language in a 1984 or, you know, Orwellian kind of a way. Um, so Zelensky's been ready for a long time. Over the last, but I would be very surprised uh, if, if Putin would agree to meet with him, at least in the short term. Um, but what has been happening for several weeks now and continues is uh, Ukrainians and Russians are, are negotiating about, you know, what the outlines of some sort of a settlement would be. There's lots of items on the table, and it's not clear to me because uh, I think, you know, both the Russians and the Ukrainians are, 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 are not entirely um, clear publicly. And that, you know, that is understandable because you know, it's really hard to negotiate out there in the public, you know, with everybody out there, as well as with an adversary. Uh, so it's not entirely clear to me what the red lines are for Ukraine. Uh, but I think one thing that's important to understand is that Ukraine is a democracy. And you are seeing it in action now. You were talking about how the Ukrainian people are resisting and how, you know, this is an all of nation effort. Uh, and I, I think they are, you know, they are going to be watching whatever the outlines of an agreement is. I mean, Zelensky is not only going to have to be able to um, sell it, whatever it is, to the Russians, he's going to have to sell it to the Ukrainian people. And after the last three weeks, at least the people I'm in touch with um, are, I mean, they, they, they want Russia to, to pay and they want their country whole and free. They are very clear on that. Now, that's not to say that ultimately Russia may not dominate militarily because it appears that Vladimir Putin is ready to, you know, use 15th century siege-like tactics along with um, 21st century weapons. I mean, it, it's terrifying. Um, but even, even if Russia prevails at some point militarily, I think there will be a guerrilla war and there will be acts of civil disobedience. There will be snipers on rooftops um, shooting at and probably killing because they're very good. Um, the Russian occupier. I think that if I were a Russian soldier, I wouldn't want to go into a, a Ukrainian cafe because I wouldn't know what was going to be served to me. And I wouldn't want to get into a car that had just been serviced or gassed up by, uh, by a Ukrainian because the Ukrainian people will resist. There's this... Um, the, the, the favorite poet of Ukraine is a guy named Taras Shevchenko. He lived in the 1800s and was kind of the father of Ukrainian nationalism. And um, his most famous line is, fight on and you will prevail. And that is what Ukrainian children are brought up on. 
Wow, that's um, yeah, and, and and I really feel that when I when I speak to like folks like Colonel Vindman, when we talk about the Ukrainian people, I'm going to have to check out that poet now. <laughs> Thank you so that's much for introducing me. Uh, anyway, it's been wonderful to speak to you, um, everyone. The book is out. It's out now. It's called Lessons from the Edge, a memoir by Marie Ivanovich. Um, you can find it wherever you get your books. And uh, are you on social media? Marie, can people follow you? No, I'm kind of old fashioned in that way. <laughs> so, oh no, well, I'm if not. you ever hop on Twitter, let us know and I'll make sure that we get you, <laughs> we get you a good followership. And for thank now, you. everyone just grab the book. It's, it's really fascinating, uh, incredible read. And thank you so much. It has been an honor to speak with you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everyone. It's AG for the Beans, and this episode is brought to you by Allform. They are my favorite place to buy customized furniture. With Allform, you can purchase beautiful, premium-quality furniture that can be customized to meet your precise needs and desires and wants. And they'll deliver it right to your door for free, fast, right? It ships fast. The last time I got a custom couch, it took 12 weeks from those traditional stores. But with Allform... You can design your own luxury furniture using first very high quality materials at a fraction of the cost. They have a forever warranty. And by the way, their fabric is spill stain and scratch resistant, which is great for the pod pets. Uh, it was the first time I've been able to have a leather couch with cats and I chose whiskey colored leather and I got walnut legs on the, the finish of the legs to match my mid mod vibe and a chaise lounge at the end. It's comfortable. It's stylish. It's beautiful. And it's shipped fast. All form ships fast. It arrives in the mail in just five to seven days, and it's easy to assemble with no tools required. They have armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, so you can start small and add more seats if your family grows or your house gets bigger. And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. And they also have that forever warranty I was talking about, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. And if you have any good news or confessions or corrections, again, corrections of, of me, if, it, if, I, if I get anything wrong, if Danny gets anything wrong, uh, we would play What the Mutt. Uh, if you, you know, if you want us to guess what kind of breeds make up your rescue pup. Um, what else? Whoobie stories, Halloween photos, Easter bunny photos, whatever you got, send them into us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And also if you're a maker or you have a small business, let us know. We'll give you a shout out. All the things. First up is a submission from Barbara Cohen. She, her. And this is a correction. Yes. Thank you, Barbara. Imagine my amusement when I heard AG on today's episode refer to the SDNY special master as Barbara Cohen. Oops. It's <laughs> what? Someone's been impersonating me for months. The special master is Barbara Jones. That's correct. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I had you on my brain, Barbara. Oh, that's funny. Uh, she may have the secrets, but I have the voice. She does absolutely love Barbara's voice. We could listen to it all day on the Zoom calls, the Friday happy hour Patreon Zoom calls. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, AGDG, Amy, and the MSW Media Production staff for all you do to keep me informed and laughing through these challenging times for pet tax and providing pictures of left to right my pet niece andy my pet nephew sully and my pet niece lily actually my brother's family's menagerie okay so i would still sully in a heartbeat even though i'm well i'd still all of these animals but sully looks like a tiny tiny cheetah She's so pretty. A tiny's, a tiny's, a tiny cheetah, a very tiny cheetah. Oh, what a beautiful cat. Or he and the dogs so are nice. adorable. 
I know this dog on the right is killing me. <laughs> so cute. So adorable. Well, thank, thank you. you for kicking off with the correction. We always appreciate them and you deliver them so softly. All right. This is from Jeff. Pronouns he and him. Greetings, beans, queens. I'm a listener and a patron. A patron? <laughs> a patron since the late kitchen days. Thank you for keeping us informed on all the news that fits to swear that's fit to swear about. I do have a gripe about a recent episode. While talking about Y2K scare, Allison seemed to suggest Allison Allison seemed to suggest that the lack of significant problems on the day showed that the hype was driven by fear-mongering profiteering fraudsters. I'm here as a member of the quote it crowd, the IT crowd, to counter I that love narrative. That show. Uh huh. <laughs> Armies of honest nerds worked for years behind the scenes, fixing creaky old computer code to make January 1st, 2000, the near nothing it turned out to be. At age 23, I got to spend that New Year's Eve in a darkened operations center watching for signs of trouble in a U.S. government computer network and eating shitty pizza in lieu of champagne. I imagine many of Allison's fellow sailors had a similarly fun night. To round out the compliment sandwich, though, let me just say that it's a joy hearing your voices each morning and that I'm grateful for the sacrifices you all, especially Allison, have made to make the truth tasty and to keep it coming. For Pod Pet Tax, here's our 14-year-old black lab mix, Raleigh. Uh, he hasn't really gotten the memo about his age yet and is always down for an adventure, no matter how lame that adventure may be. Maybe you can work out what his unknown father looked like. His tongue has a wine stain, so probably oh, some yeah. chow chow in there. Yep, yep, definitely some chow chow in there. What a cute boy. Yes, and thank you, Jeff. I've gotten a lot of emails from um, the It crowd <laughs> saying, hey, there was no problem with Y2K because we fucking worked. <laughs> we worked on it, and that's why it went off without Nice. A so I, my apologies, hats off to everyone who made it Y2K go off without a hitch. You are our heroes. Uh, and yeah, I'm sure I had a lot of uh, sailor buddies that were sitting in a dark room that night. I was not. I was on a boat. I'll be honest. For New Year's Eve 2000, I was on a boat on the bay having some champagne. So thank you. Thank you for your tireless work. Although one correction for you, Jeff, the sacrifice I made by not having to work for the government anymore. Sacrifice is a strong word. Um, no, I'm kidding. I actually do really miss my job. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much for pointing that out. Uh, next up, from Anonymous, pronouns he and him. First time sharing my pronouns. Awesome. I have a confession. I would listen to the podcast for the news updates and then the interview and then bail on the good news. I just laughed out loud as I typed that. Skipping good news. <laughs> now I go from beginning to end. I really appreciate the good news. So thank you. I decided to take action on my health and go to the gym at 4 a.m. ish. And as I'm on the cardio machine for the full time of your podcast, it makes it easy. Attached are photos of rescue senior Patsy, a baby, mostly blind beagle. She was with me uh, for two years before moving on with congestive heart failure at all. I assure you the ears in the photo were absolute velvet, and uh, she has wonderful life on heated blankets and belly rubs. Also, when we would get to the vet, she was always ushered in with her bed. I would carry in her bed so she would have something familiar inside the room. Oh, Aww. we would sit on the floor. I share that in case anyone else might spark to that idea. I now have two senior puppies in the house and will be looking to rescue another soon. Love to you all. XO. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Look at the baby. Also, I don't know. I don't want to read too much into this, but if you're sharing your pronouns for the first time because it's the first time, like if there has been a change in your life, I, if I'm reading into this, I, still congratulations. So whatever that is about, 
thank you for this first time sharing. I just want to say that if there's something in the, in between the lines there, congratulations. Yeah. And I love it. Oh my God, the baby, the last picture. I know. It's so cute. Oh, you want to, do you want me to take the next two? I'll take the next two. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, this is from Lisa, pronoun she and her. FYI, the find the cat game is not just for cats. Benny is our resident champion. And Benny is definitely <laughs> burrowed between pillows. <laughs> that is hilarious. Between the two pillows on the left. And it reminds so me of uh, Plaids, Trains, and Automobile. Where are your hands? Between two pillows. Those oh are pillows. Yeah. <laughs> How about those bears? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this is from Phil, pronouncing him. You rock. It's wonderful to hear accountability and your daily analysis. It helps keep balance out all the Fox pundits. Now, I recently got a new job and also submit my dog June for what the mutt and kit for pet, ta- pet tax, excuse me, which is the kitty. I rescued June from a Q inspired neighbor. Oh, then June found the cat. <laughs> and now they're best friends. Truly a dream. And they are very cute. Oh. Now, this what the mutt, I'm going to say that there is definitely some Dalmatian and Pit. I see some healer. And healer. Cattle dog. Oh, maybe it's healer instead of Dalmatian, actually. I don't know. Aussie and Pibble. And Black Lab. But there's definitely Pibble in there. Tuxedo. Oh, we've got answers. Oh, let's see. Pit, Staffordshire. Yeah. Shepherd, Husky, Chesapeake huh. Bay Retriever. That's where the Chesapeake Bay Retriever, that's where I thought of the the spots, you know, the the healer. Yeah. I really think she's a knockoff pointer and I still love her. She's beautiful. So beautiful. Love these. Tu- they're both tuxies. It's so cute. Uh, all right. Next up, Jenny, pronouns she and her. Greetings and salutations. To say I love y'all is an understatement, but I won't go into the mushy stuff here. Oh, come on, Jenny. <laughs> we need details. Uh, <laughs> She says, today I'm writing to share some great news and a personal story. For the personal story, I was listening to Charlotte Clymer and wanted to share that we are one of those families who had a kid on hormone blockers. My oldest child had um, precocious puberty starting at the age of one. Interesting. Whoa. Yes, a one-year-old with full-on puberty, menses, and the whole thing. They were on hormone blockers for 10 years, and it provided them a path for growing up that meant they didn't finish puberty in elementary school. They were lifesavers for us. I was thrilled to hear Charlotte mention the use of these treatments during her interview. It never fails that a single bean show can take me through the gamut of emotions in one go of the That's show. That's awesome. And for as for the good news, this week the Department of Justice announced that the Americans with Disabilities Act applies to digital experiences. That means businesses and online spaces cannot discriminate against people with disabilities by having inaccessible sites, apps, etc. This is huge for people who have been shut out during the pandemic when so much went online and was inaccessible to their uh, assistive technologies. While we don't get accessible sites overnight, we are a step closer with the supportive Department of Justice. That's awesome. Yes. Much love, Jenny. Thank you, Jenny, for that. Um, and that's wonderful Both of those news. things. And dude, Charlotte yeah. is, I love her. Speaking of, I know this is crazy, but as we're recording, I'm, I'm literally texting. I got a text from Charlotte because she's in LA and I'm hoping that I'll get to see her and I'll let everyone know if I do. We've met before. I just love her to death. But it's just really weird that we're reading this story and my phone went ding. <laughs> hey, it was if Charlotte. you do, let me know when. I'll drive up. Oh, yeah. If we'll, okay, we'll talk about it off the air. So people aren't like, man, I could have been there. Or uh, or they show up. Yeah, we could just, you know, forget them. Hey, what are you having for dinner? What's for dinner later? What are you doing? Yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> I'll, I should talk to her in a minute. I'll let you know as soon as possible. 
So everyone get that? Everyone got that? Okay. Everyone we'll got that. Know. We'll let you know. <laughs> we'll send pictures. And sorry send if we just us... gave FOMO to everybody. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you send us your photos, please. Send us your pod pet tax photos, your Easter bunny photos, Halloween pictures, a f- what the mutt, find the cat, whatever you want to send us. Please, your whoobies. I love photos. I love the whoobie stories. Uh, you can do that by daily going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Dana, do you have any final thoughts today? I actually do. As I was watching the Katanji Brown Jackson uh, confirmation, they showed the most beautiful images of her husband with tears streaming down his face because he was so proud and so happy for her. And then they showed their daughter watching her father cry tears of joy and pride. And so... For those people out there that either it's hard for you to cry or you don't think you should or you don't think you can or you just never do that, I just want you to try and embrace that part of yourself because there's so many people and especially people that were socialized as men throughout their lives saying you shouldn't cry, boys don't cry. Fucking cry, let it go. It It's cleansing, it's beautiful and it's vulnerable and champion the women in your life because they deserve it. So I just want to say that was one of my favorite parts of today and I hope everyone carries it forward with them. It was lovely. It was amazing to watch. And yeah, that part about motherhood and how she tried to balance work and, and family and that she hoped she did her best. It was just so touching. It really was. What a beautiful woman inside and out. And I know that she will be our next Supreme Court justice, but I'm just so happy it's her. What an upstanding human being. Yeah. And any speech she ever gives, I will listen to. I love listening to her. 100%. <laughs> She's amazing. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow. Dana, you're going to be, uh, are you back tomorrow or are you out? I, I'm with you. Yep. I'm still with you tomorrow. One more day. Okay. So that means everyone has to listen. Because <laughs> after that, Dana's going to be gone for a week. So. I'll be gone for a week. I will miss you all, but I, I, I get to go back to work again. And so I will be out of, out of range of any sort of possibility of <laughs> Allison and I coordinating recording times. <laughs> what are you doing? Cruise ship? I am. I'm doing a riverboat in Portugal with a bunch of uh, (gasps) sweet lesbians, older (sighs) lesbians, but I love them very Uh, much. I love my lesbian elders. And when I say older, I just mean older than me, by the way. (laughs) Elders, our elders. (laughs) Yeah, people that I love and respect and I get to learn so much from. You know, it's so funny because everyone, no one really knows what these trips are like and everyone has an idea. But my favorite parts are sitting with women that have been together for 40 years and hearing about their love stories and how they met and what they do for a living and to be able to hear about these lives that were very different than mine. You know, it was a different time when they were mm-hmm. coming out of the closet and they couldn't hold hands in public and they couldn't be gay or they'd get fired. And that's still the case in some states. But so these trips are really, they're really wonderful for my soul. I get to connect with humans on a level that just fills me up. Well, I look forward to the photos and the story and hearing the stories about it. Uh, but yes. we do have you for one more day. And so that's tomorrow. Until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. And vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.